rock and roll. Yeah. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. It's great to be with you this week. Sky, we had a busy week at the General Assembly. Yeah, after last week was shortened because of the threat of storms that never came to Raleigh, um, we came back with a bang this week. Speaking of bang, uh, we started off with some fireworks in a Senate committee. We were talking about the 2020 election this week. Yeah, so the Senate election committee brought in um, the state board of elections director, Karen Brinson Bell, and really grilled her for a couple of hours on the settlement agreement that happened in 2020 between the attorney general's office um, and the state board of elections about a lawsuit that had been filed, um, which changed the absentee ballot rules for the 2020 election. And so the committee felt that uh, they should have conferred with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ms. Bell uh, said that she was getting her orders from the governing board, the state board of election. And in one exchange, there was even a call for her resignation. Yeah, Senator Ford said, why shouldn't I call for your resignation? And in response to that, the director Bell said, I have been a public servant for 15 years, and actually the people that, that fire and hire me are a bipartisan board. Yeah, so she, she, she said that she had been a poll judge uh, uh, mm-hmm. in her local election. She worked at the county level and at the state level. It certainly was a contentious meeting, uh, but then we uh, moved on, got some good news this week. The governor held Are you her- talking about muscadine wine <laughs> or grape juice? <laughs> You know, I do love muscadine and scuppernong wine. I am from Duplin County, North Carolina, and we have great uh, grapes down there. Uh, But yeah, yeah. There was a great debate in the House over whether or not we, the General Assembly, should mandate that kids have the option to have muscadine grape juice in their school lunches. Mm -hmm. And it it was also a long debate. So kids in science labs could now make wine at school, <laughs> maybe. Um, no, but we did, have, we did have some good news. The governor held a press conference on Tuesday. And for, for those who, who like to stay at bars until 2 in the morning, uh, you got good news on Tuesday. It is your time to shine. You can go back out until 2 a.m. Um, our alcohol curfew was at 11 p.m., um, and it has been for about the last month. Yeah, and so we we had some capacity lifts. Um, Retail, back to 100%. Museums, aquariums, back to 100% capacity with social distancing and mask requirements. Yeah, so the travel and tourism, uh, the hospitality industry certainly is looking forward to Friday at 5 o'clock. And uh, hopefully we are getting back to normal. It sounds as if a, a, a third of North Carolinians have been vaccinated. And so that is leading to uh, the lifting of these restrictions. Big news this week, $27.3 billion being proposed by Governor Cooper on Wednesday for the spending plan that would begin July 1 of this summer. 
Uh, it would be fiscal year 2021-2022, uh, and it's a biennium budget, so it also has another year of proposed spending. Uh, tell, us, tell us what was going on this week, Scott, with that. Yeah, on Wednesday afternoon, the governor held a press conference on Tuesday about COVID and lifting those restrictions, and then one on Wednesday afternoon where he outlined his budget proposal. And it's just that, it's a proposal to the General Assembly. Our General Assembly writes the budget and allocates money. So it is the governor's recommendations to the General Assembly. And so he outlined that um, on Wednesday, and then his budget director, Charlie Perus, came to the General Assembly today, which is Thursday morning, and presented those priorities to the Joint Appropriations Committee. The big misunderstanding I find um, in doing this work for 20-some years at the General Assembly is because of just the ability of Governor Cooper or any governor to get in the headlines of newspapers and it's on television, there is this idea out there that if I'm a state employee and he put state employee raises and bonuses in there, when's my check coming? Mm -hmm. And folks want to know this or they hear that this tax cut is taking place or we're doing this spending plan. We are nowhere near the end of the budget cycle. In fact, some would argue that we just began the budget cycle on Wednesday. Yeah, um, his budget director, Charlie Perus, this morning even said, I'm aware that this is the first pitch of the first inning of the game. We understand, too, that the full chairs got a full briefing on Tuesday. Right. Wednesday, he announces it to the public. Thursday, the Appropriations Committee gets to hear, hear it. And then, really, the game starts with, starting with the Senate. The Senate's going to go first this year. They are going to take their stab at the budget. So going first means that they propose their version of a budget. In the General Assembly. Right. So the governor has his budget. The Senate will propose theirs. And usually that first budget comes around Memorial Day, yep. plus or minus. And then there is a third pitch. And that's when the House does theirs. All right. So you, now we've got the governor's budget. We will have a Senate budget. I also have a budget made of monopoly money if anybody would like to know my priorities. <laughs> so we have a governor's budget. We have a, a Senate budget, and we will have a House budget. Now, the governor's budget, back in the day, 20 years ago, when Democrats had the governor's mansion, Democrats had the General Assembly, usually it was protocol for the budget chairs to introduce the governor's budget into a bill. Mm. I haven't seen those days in years. And we've had a lot of divided government, so I think that that has gone by the wayside. Is this a sick brag about you being old? Yeah, I'm old. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I Sorry. I've been around. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. It's okay. It's okay. So you have the governor's budget, and, and they are going to take bits and pieces out of the governor's budget. There are some things I thought Speaker Moore, uh, as did Senator Jackson, said we share some priorities. So I think we are going to see them take some ideas out of his budget. Yeah, that appropriations committee today he started by saying these are the things that we agree on yeah. and so started there and then kind of went into the priorities and i thought that was a nice way to start it was a nice way and then the, when the senate passes their budget they're going to formulate a budget they are going to pass it 
It'll be a bill, and it's going to go over to the house after Memorial Day. Then they are going to take bits and pieces that they like out of the Senate, bits and pieces they like from the governor, and they're going to pass their own budget. So we're going to really have three budgets out there around the middle of June. And then a conference committee is appointed. And so what happens is that the Senate and the House have what we call big chairs. So those are the folks that make the final decision on what goes in or out of the state budget. And those folks will meet in a room every day, all day, and hammer out the differences in what the House proposed versus what the Senate proposed and what's going to go in that final budget. And then it will go to the floors as a conference report for an up or down vote. Up or down vote. Can't make any amendments. Then from there, it's going to pass pretty much. We know it's going to pass. Then where does it go? To the governor. To the governor. And so the governor, he starts it and he ends it. And it is up to him. He has three options. He can sign the budget into law. He cannot sign the budget and it becomes law after 10 days. Or he can veto it, which is something we have seen for the past few sessions. That's right. Um, Folks will remember, if you have been paying attention in North Carolina politics, that in 2019, -hmm. 2019, the governor vetoed the budget. And since there were no longer supermajorities in the House and the Senate, um, the legislature couldn't just automatically override his veto. And there was a budget stalemate. And at that point, I should say on July 1, that's our fiscal year, North Carolina automatically funds itself at the last year's rates. So nothing changed that was in the base budget. And so we never had a shutdown of government in North Carolina because of that. Right, right. Back in the day, we used to do continuing resolutions. So they would last for a week or two weeks. In 2016, the General Assembly got together And it's as if they knew that uh, Governor Cooper was going to win that election. (laughs) And they passed a law, uh, an evergreen law, they call it, or an evergreen budget, which means there's always some budget on the books. And that's why the prison doors don't open and state roads don't shut down. I can't think of any year that I have been working at the General Assembly where the governor's budget has been sent over and there was a full appropriations hearing on his budget priorities. They generally just throw it in the trash and kind of make some go ahead and take some jabs at him about it. Yeah. So uh, to to Governor Roy Cooper, Senator Phil Berger, uh, Speaker Tim Moore, we think that it was not only a good presentation of a budget. uh, We thought that the General Assembly leadership responded in a way where they did take issue with the budget. They listed the things that they don't like, including the fact that it's 10% higher than than past spending plans. And Medicaid expansion, of course, is included in his budget. But they did not, it, it didn't feel as political and as shrill as it has felt, especially last year, where it felt like the budget process was the campaign kickoff for 2020. Yeah, that's right. This morning, when his budget director was presenting, things were very cordial. 
Representative Sane was presiding over the meeting and they were making jokes back and forth. And there were some questions about his budget priorities, but none of them were disrespectful or pointed in a way that were, you know, incredibly political. Yeah. So we are going to, the the process has begun and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Will this cordiality stay? But right now it's here. We're going to celebrate it. And the Do Politics Better Award goes to those three. We have a special guest today. We do. We welcomed Representative Allison Dahl, who is a Democrat from Wake County, um, to the podcast. And she is beloved by everyone at the General Assembly. I said that I think that she is the most liked person there of everyone in the building. And it was our pleasure to talk to her. Yeah, let's hear that interview now. Representative Allison Dahl, uh, thank you for being on the podcast. And before we get going, just want to say happy birthday. Thank you. Thanks for spending your birthday afternoon with us. I love it. I love spending my 28 years. You look all of 28. The pink what? hair, the nose ring, the cool glasses. It's, yeah, well, You don't want to be 29 because everybody's 29. Everyone. Yeah. You want to be 28. So you grew up in Raleigh. You went to Broughton High School. And now you're representing pretty much this this area. Tell us about growing up in Raleigh. You must have seen a lot of changes. Oh, my gosh. In your 28 years. <laughs> yes, in my 28 <laughs> years. I'm actually 57, and I'm okay with being 57. Um, wow. Raleigh has changed. Well, you know, we used to pack a lunch to go to Cary, and when Broughton played the Cary Imps, it was empty out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there wasn't, and it was trailers, and little houses yeah and it's not you know i can remember going from our house we used to live behind meredith college to tryon road where the school supply store was and i felt like we were taking a trip to pennsylvania i mean it was a two-lane road you driving out there it has gotten so much bigger yeah Uh, but i also find that raleigh has stayed the same size because a lot of us won't go outside of, you know, we won't go outside of the Beltline almost. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people that don't go outside of the Beltline. They just live in their little cocoon. At me next time. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about how you got started in politics, what made you want to be a politician, how you got here. Um, I've always wanted to be in politics. I enjoy... Um, working with people, being, helping people solve problems, I cust, you know, customer service, if you will. And I wanted to, I would have, you know, city council, any of those positions. And a lot of those positions were filled with people that were doing a great job, so what do you do? Um, and this eventuality found me. And I was like, sure, I'll run. That's that's a great idea. And, you know, I, it was really funny because my wife said, you know, you've always wanted to be in politics. I was like, you were listening then? Okay, cool. <laughs> we were telling folks that you were going to be our guest this week. Last week we had Representative Torbett. And uh, such a fun time with him. And and we talked about you on the podcast, the dinner you did with him, the Do Politics Better dinner right here at this table. Mm -hmm. Uh, But folks were just so excited uh, that you were going to be on the podcast this week. 
And I'm not talking about just Democrats. I'm talking about Republicans, uh, Republican staffers. Uh, we're so excited that, that you were going to be on the podcast, that we were going to learn more. And I just have to ask you, why do you, why do you think it is that you, you seem to have so much popularity in the General Assembly inside the building uh, with staffers and Republicans and Democrats, they all seem to just really gravitate towards you and appreciate you in the General Assembly. And, I, and, it's, and it's kind of unusual, right? Because Democrats tend to uh, uh, fraternize with their, with their party, Republicans with their, and there is some, some crossover, but there's a lot of folks that just really think a lot of you. That's very nice to hear. I don't, you know, that to me is like, okay, thanks. <laughs> But what are you doing that's different? And I think I have some ideas, but, but what is it that you think you are doing different uh, at the General Assembly? Well, you know, I think I value everybody. I value their opinion. I may not agree with their opinion. But if we all agreed, how boring with, oh, yeah, hmm, okay. And that's the end of the conversation. So I really value people's opinions. And... I think I've learned that it's none of any it's none of my business what anybody thinks about me. But the other piece of it is I like people. And if I sit, you know, I think one of the reasons I really enjoy talking to Republicans and Republican staffers particularly is that I'm not sitting in an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. And I can learn more. I mean, I have learned Oh my God, Torbett. I learned like he was telling me all sorts of history. He loves history, and we, and you know, he'd get his job in, and I was like, shush. But you know, <laughs> the history part is really interesting. Now, had I not gone and spoken to him and just said, hey, how you doing? I would have never known that he was a history buff. So it's, it seems to be more than just a cursory hello how are you doing you seem to find yourself in in conversations with legislators and staffers it seems to have served you well i yeah i mean but i don't i don't start out because i want it to serve me Mm -hmm. um you know i am not in government so that i can be the star of the show i'm in government so that north carolina can be the star of the show so that the people who need and want our support can be the star of the show. I'm already the star in my own house. When I walk through the door, I got two four-legged animals that come up and they're like, oh my God, she's him. (laughs) You know, I, I got that, I'm good. But we've got to make this world an easier place to live in, a better place to live in. And we can't do that if we're sitting over across the aisles sticking our tongues out at each other. There are people that I don't, I do not like their politics, but they are sweet, gentle, wonderful people. And I may not like how they approach things, but they're there. Everybody has value. And, and I also, you know, because I spent, what, 20 years at the law firm being a staff member, I know what it's like to be a staff member. I know what it's like to be overlooked and not and i'm not saying that i don't want to say anything bad about my employer but i know what that's like i was in you know when i was a stage manager in theater 
I know what it's like for the director to look straight over me, even though I'm working my butt off to make this show. I, I get that. And I think that staffers have a lot of good opinions and they have a lot more time to research and look into things. And, you know, they have things that are important to them that they want to talk about. So I think it's important to listen to everybody. And they're also, a lot of them are my constituents, yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, right. There was a staffer um, on the, in the speaker's office uh, last year. It was during the short session. And he shared with me that he was in the chamber and uh, he didn't have a mask on. And you sent him a text message saying how much you cared for him and that you wanted him to be safe and to stay healthy and to uh, put a mask on. And he said it meant a lot to him that you noticed and he went and put his mask on. Then I visit you, I think Sky and I visit you uh, maybe around that time, and you're in your office making a mask for a staffer who you're trying to get, and I'll go ahead and say it, it's Paul Coble who runs the General <laughs> Assembly. Uh, you're trying to make a mask that, that matches his very uh, stylish Dapper. sports coats. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to look nice because he was like, I'm not really a you know, medical mask wearer. So I went and got some mask material and made him a mask, and I thought it was important. I think it's important that there are people that are really special to me and that have taken the time to welcome me and make me feel, and Paul's one of those people, and I know a lot of people are, you know, there might be some different things, but Paul and I get along really well, and I want him to stay safe and stay alive, and I value his life, and I also value that staffer's life. And I sent a text to him and two other members of the General Assembly and said, you guys are my favorite over there, so I want you to stay well and healthy. So put your damn mask on. (laughs) (laughs) Since you're fairly new in the General Assembly, this is your second term, what is the most surprising thing about being in the state legislature and working there? Boy, there's lots. (laughs) You know, I think my this is a I think my vision or my idea of who lobbyists were has changed tremendously, especially with my work with you, Sky, with talking about different women's issues and understanding that your job is to not only tell me the pros of a bill but the cons of a bill, and the fact that. Every lobbyist I have talked to thus far, yeah, every lobbyist has done that and been honest about it and has not lied to me or tried to push me to do anything I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. But have, you know, it has asked me what I think of those things or why I need to support or how it could help my district or how it could hurt my district. So I think that has been the most proud. Because a lot of people think lobbyists are just people who are trying to just get paid for doing nothing. But I've seen a lot of really good work come Mm -hmm. from lobbyists and a lot of support. So in your core office, it is you and your wonderful staff member, Ann Evangelista. That's correct. And, And so... She is answering the phone, scheduling your appointments, processing your bills, but uh, 
the thousands of issues that you face every session, there's no human way that the two of you could could digest everything. That, no. So you do rely on lobbies and you rely on honesty. I think it's interesting. Uh, yes. You want the pros and the cons. Yeah. I think you do have the benefit that most legislators don't, that your legislative assistant is an attorney, right. too. Um, and most legislative assistants are not. Right. Sure. And I do have, you know, and Anne spent a lot of time in domestic violence court when she worked in the mountains. And so I do have that added benefit. Right. Um, and I, I'm grateful every day. <laughs> I really wish we could work out, you know, one thing I'd really like to see us do is raise the salary of the legislative aides because, you know, she works a lot and she does a lot of constituent issues mm -hmm. and she'll handle the constituent issue up until it gets to the point where she's spent, you know, she's sent, let's say 20 emails and is not getting a response. And then she gets me involved. I mean, that, that's a lot of work. And that's a lot of people work. Yeah. I, so. I would like to see their, their pay raise. I'd like to see legislators' pay raise. I know that sounds, uh, uh, to folks who don't work in the General Assembly, um, that may sound odd, but these are legislators that make $13,900 a and year. $957, and I think 17 cents. There you go. <laughs> And Just you, so you know. Yeah, you get a stipend, and, you know, when you look at the General Assembly and you wonder why um, people like you aren't, aren't uh, running for office, a lot of them can't afford to. And, and you're fortunate you live here in Raleigh, so you don't have to live out of a hotel. Right. Uh, but it, it is tough. It's tough on that staff, and it's tough on you. Well, and I work, so I have this job. I have the job with the law firm. And I couldn't do it without the law firm. And I'm lucky enough that my wife has worked for her job long enough that she's been able to gain raises. And we were actually able, you know, we're able to. But we don't live in a, you know. I remember talking to you early on and telling you that, you know, we were at that point, my first year in the legislature, we were still living kind of paycheck to paycheck and trying to make it work yeah. because it was a commitment for both of us for me to get into government. And we knew we were going to have to take a pay cut because I also had to cut my, I was already part time, but I cut my hours a little further down because I really only work two days a week. Yeah. So, you know, it's a commitment. And I think that's why, and generally, it was enough money at at some point it was enough because people weren't we weren't in session as long as we are right and you know i am lucky because i live here in raleigh but when you think about the stipend and you think about somebody who doesn't live in raleigh and has to depend on a um a hotel that's that's really that's expensive it is mm -hmm. it is and we're gonna be here we'll probably take a summer break of some sort but we're going to be in session a long time, especially with redistricting coming up. Yeah, yeah. Session is—it's become—it's you know—it was intended to be a part-time citizen legislature. We we really didn't even do short sessions, meaning we meet in the even number of years until the early seventies. And now it's just every year it's more and more. Uh, we've been in the building on December twenty-seventh one year. So yeah, yeah. 
I want to ask you about being a, um, a progressive in a conservative General Assembly that is governed by Republicans. They set the agenda. They decide what bills come to the floor. Um, how do you maintain being a defender of those progressive values while also staying relevant to Republicans. And let me put it in a little context. I saw you this week in committee. You were uh, running a piece of legislation with Representative Tim Moffat. And uh, so I got on your website, the NCLEG website, and I saw all the bills that you were running. And you're running quite a few bills as a primary sponsor with Republicans. Um, can you talk about that? So you're doing, you're doing battle with some of these legislators on many issues, not all issues, by the way. Most issues are not partisan or ideological. They're practical issues, everyday housekeeping legislative work. But you, you seem to have found yourself on quite a few bills, and, and it's impressive. Thanks. It's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> um, you know, I think that, um, well, that particular bill, Representative Moffitt and I, kind of bonded early about, well, it goes back to Representative McGrady because when I was on ABC and asking questions, he was really um, intrigued with the fact that I was learning and I wanted to know and I was curious. I wasn't just sitting on the community, the committee to sit there. Um, and so he kind of shared that with Moffitt and then Moffitt, um, I think, you know, we talked about some certain things and found some things that we had in common. But um, the other piece of that is, again, everybody has value. Everybody, every the things they care about are value. And if you talk to somebody long enough or about subjects that you care about, you find that they, too, care about them. And sure, we might not be able to sweep the board with every liberal idea or every progressive idea, but we might be able to sweep, get one and have another conservative idea that work in tandem and can work in a bill. And I think that's what so much of what I feel is out there is, I have to win, I have to win, I have to win. And I don't feel that way. I don't feel like we have to win. I think we have to work together and then we both win. Then it's a win-win situation. And maybe that's too, you know, Stephen Covey or something, you know, too. But it's not. I mean, I guess, and it probably goes back to, number one, in my family, you know, win-win solutions were always you know, you wanted both children to be happy. My brother's five years older than I am. So, you know, he had this little sister who would whine because she didn't want to go somewhere. So we tried to make it happy for both. And, you know, he had to probably go roller skating with me. And God, he didn't want to do that. But we just, we cannot just go bulldoze our only, and it be our only opinion. Yeah. So the bill what? you were running was a ABC bill. It was right. to allow the exchange of bottles of liquor uh, between... Between group parties. members like um, Facebook group members yeah. or other groups yeah. because it wasn't... 
it was a pro- it was problematic for the ALE yeah. officers. Yeah. So ABC is the Alcoholic Beverage and Control Committee that's at the house. Speaking of bipartisan bills that you work on, what is your greatest legislative accomplishment? Working on that elections bill, 1169, and working with, God, that was, I mean, Pricey and I still, Pricey Harrison, who's a representative from Gilbert County, um, we still talk about how wonderful that was to pull everybody together. And that was at the beginning of COVID or right right in the middle. So we were on the phone a lot, which meant I rely heavily on reading people's body language. So I could not, you know, it was, you're on the phone trying to decipher what's next. Um, but I think it was, you know, I, for me, it was really rewarding. Question we, we try to ask everyone who comes to this table. Um, what is the one thing, if you could change it, magic wand to get us past this uh this toxic political environment we're in and i'm not just talking about the general assembly i'm talking about across the country this division um what is what is the one thing that you could fix in our politics um according to representative allison Dahl, sit down at the table and have a discussion and not coming to the table with your own baggage and or your own wall, but removing that wall and actually asking somebody, how was your day? Start at basic levels. And you know, that it's important because when I lived in New York City, I used to say hello to everybody on the street and they all looked at me (laughs) like I was crazy. So because I grew up in the South, you just say, hey, how you doing? I mean, that's what we do. And I remember my best friend saying to me, oh, my God, Allison, they think you're a lunatic. But when you said, when you asked me how things are going in the General Assembly, I said hi to everybody. I didn't, I didn't know who they were. When I walked in, I, I walked into the Democratic caucus, was looking around going, okay. I didn't recognize those people when I walked back out. I was terrified. So I just said hey to everybody. I mean, and that's who I am. So say hi to that person. Talk to those people and carry that relationship to the floor. I think that's the other thing is we get in that partisan and it happens all the time with advocacy groups that I talk to and they're like, and it's like, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Look at where they're coming from. Look at what their history is. Look at why they feel that way. What is something that you feel the same way about that you might could talk to them about that? Or experience. I mean, the best example I can give is talking to somebody on the floor and we were talking about guns and I said, oh yeah, I shoot sporting clays. And his whole persona changed. When he knew that I actually understood what a gun was, that I didn't, he said, I thought all you people hated guns. I said, no, we just want you to be safe. (laughs) And he was like, well, I am safe. I said, well, then good. (laughs) You know? And that, and to this day, that man still, you know, he's like, hey, how you doing? And he still talks to me and will come and talk to me about Second Amendment stuff. That's great. Just, we've got to stop hating people just because 
they stand for one thing. I did, I will tell you, I passed this comment today and I thought about it. And please, to my wife, don't get angry. I said, I don't like everything about my wife, but I do love her. Mm -hmm. And I think we can't like, I mean, there are going to be things that either one of you do or I do that we don't like. Mm -hmm. There's irritations, there's whatever. Just, you, you can't focus on that. Got to focus on what you can agree on. I love your answer. Mm -hmm. Talking more. Representative Allison Dahl, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for your service to your district and to the state. And um, you certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you. Thank you very much. And have a happy birthday. Yes. I will. I'm getting ready. You know, it was so great having Representative Dahl here. Uh, she is just such a breath of fresh air. And, and it was just great having that interview. Yeah, she is such a joy. She's so kind-hearted, and she really adds a lot to everyone's lives at the General Assembly. She makes the place much more fun. Yeah, and if you're in the building, if you live in her district and you want to come visit the General Assembly, or if you live out of her district and you want to visit her at the General Assembly, she's got an open door. She is wonderful. You can't miss her. Uh, look for the, just ask for the lady with pink hair, and uh, she, she's usually around the chamber somewhere. Yeah, I thought it was funny that she said she doesn't need to be a star at the General Assembly, but she is the actual definition of a star there. Speaking of star, you were kind of a star this past weekend. I turned on my television, uh, WREL On The Record, great public affairs TV show that airs every Saturday. And you're on my television with Senator Danny Britt talking about legislation that the two of you partnered on uh, last biennium to close many of the sexual assault loopholes. It was great seeing you on the TV. Yeah, I, they asked about bipartisanship and whether I thought that folks were working together behind the scenes. And um, there was a little segment on child marriage in North Carolina that's mm -hmm. very informative if you have an interest in that. Yeah. I loved Travis Fain's question uh, to you. He asked, he asked about what do politics better means. He, he referenced the, the podcast and our firm. And, and, and I thought you gave a great answer. Thanks. What was your answer? <laughs> I, I don't know my answer verbatim, but I did say that do politics better means coming to the table, having an honest conversation, and as I always say, meeting people where they are. Yeah, it was a good answer. It was a, it was a great show. I, I watched it with my uh, wife and my in-laws, and, and they learned a lot, especially about this this age 14 marriage. They did not know that was on the books, and um, it, it was very informative. Yeah, looking forward to that being changed, hopefully. All right, so we want to thank Representative Allison Dahl for being on the podcast this week. Thank you so much, Representative Dahl. We hope everyone has a great week. We look forward to seeing you next Friday. And don't forget to do politics better. Uh, what are we going to come back with? I don't know. I'm trying to think of something. The Illini losing. I don't think we need to talk about that, do we? <laughs> no.
uh, the upcoming schedule. Do you think I haven't been tortured enough by everyone? <laughs>